Uh, dear Heavenly Well, if you're a part of Cross U, you know that I like to find stories. I like to tell my own stories, but I only have so many stories. So I like to find stories to open our time with, and I came across this story about a woman who had been diagnosed with cancer and was given three months to live. Her doctor told her to make preparations to die, so she contacted her pastor and told him how she wanted things arranged for her funeral service what songs she wanted to have sung, the scripture she wanted read, the words she wanted spoken. And she wanted to be buried with her favorite Bible. But before her pastor left, she called out to him one more time, one more thing, she said. What is it, the pastor asked. Well, this is important. I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. The pastor did not know what to say. No one had ever made such a request before, so she explained In all my years going to church functions, whenever food was involved, my favorite part was when whoever was cleaning the dishes up from the main course would lean over and say, you can keep your fork. The pastor hugged the woman goodbye. Oh, I'm sorry. She says it was my favorite part because I knew that it meant something great was coming and it wasn't (laughs) jello. It was something with substance, cake or pie, biblical food. So I just want people to see me there in my casket with a fork in my hand, and I want them to wonder what's with the fork. And I want you to tell them something better is coming. Keep your fork. Now the pastor hugged the woman goodbye, and soon after, she passed away. And at the funeral service, people saw the dress she had chosen, and the Bible that she had read from, and they heard the songs that she loved, and they all asked the same question, what's with the fork? And the pastor explained that this woman, their friend, wanted them to know that for her or for anyone who dies in Christ, this is not a day of defeat. It is a day of celebration. The real party is just beginning. Something better is coming. That's what we're celebrating at Easter. If you were with us on Good Friday, I said something I like to say frequently. In Christ, if your story hasn't finished well, then it hasn't finished yet. Something better is coming. In Christ Jesus, no story ends as tragedy. That is good news. Something better is coming, so keep your fork. Now you can call the something better a lot of things. The biblical food that she refers to. Jesus called it the kingdom of God. Jesus called it eternal life. I'm going to call it the Jesus life this morning. It's the water that flows from the fountain of life. It starts the moment you believe in Jesus. And because Jesus' life never ends, that life never ends. Your life will never end when you become a part of the life of Jesus. It's a well that never runs dry. The Jesus life is beyond the reach of death. Death manifests itself not only in the final loss of life, but also in all that damages and impairs life before death, which I know you're acquainted to. You haven't died yet, but you know there are things in this world and in your life and in your relationships and your circumstances that impair and damage you, damage your life today. And so this Jesus life, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, brings this healing He transforms you. He transfigures your life in all the ways that your mortal life falls short of what it could be. 
what life can be in its fullness. This Jesus life is the putting right of everything that is wrong. Everything that is wrong in you and around you. It is the fulfillment of all that is good. In other words, if you're here this morning and you've ever had this sense or this idea or this feeling, this is ungood, this is not good. This part of me is not good. This part of the world is not good. What do I do? I've tried. What do you do to bring about good? Well, Jesus is the one who can do it. He can conquer death. He can bring abundant life. And we're going to read in this morning in John chapter 20. It's the first Sunday of Easter. We'll be looking at these resurrection stories of Jesus for a few weeks in our series. But if you want to open your Bible or flip on your phone or follow along, we're going to work our way through these first 18 verses. And then I really only have two points this morning. They're not overly long. We'll pray and we'll have a wonderful closing song where we celebrate Jesus together. John 20 begins early on Sunday morning. That's why we gather on Sunday morning. Christianity comes out of the Jewish faith, the Jewish story. And the Jews gathered on Saturday, but Christians started gathering on Sunday because of the resurrection of Jesus. And it says, while it was still dark. We talked a little bit about that. We'll talk a little bit more about that today. We talked about that on Good Friday. Jesus' death, darkness across the land. Three hours of dark. Mary Magdalene, that's why we talked about Mary Magdalene on Good Friday, because here we find her in the morning. And John, and it's poetic, he's describing them, but it's also with intentionality. Mary is still in the darkness. It's Sunday morning and it's dark. All of her hopes were crucified on that cross with Jesus, and she doesn't know where to turn or where to go. So she came to the tomb and she found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She doesn't know what to make of this new information. So she runs and she finds Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Now I've got to pause there. This is a sermon for another day, but it's just, I've got to say this. I love this about John. This is the author of the Gospel of John and this is how he thinks of himself. I don't know that they had mirrors in the first century, but if they did... John would look in the mirror and he'd say, you're the one Jesus loved. What a way to think of yourself. I just pause here because I know if anything's under attack in our world today, it's our identity. It's the way we think about ourselves. And there are so much questions, especially for those of you of the younger generations. Why am I here? What gives me value? What makes me worthy? And there's so many things that you're led to think. And and, and they don't prove to make you feel valuable or worthy. And, and, and I know that's why there's so much question and confusion and despair and heartache. So I offer you this morning, learn from John and learn to see yourself as one whom Jesus loved. I've said this a lot, but I'll say it again because it's Easter. We like to determine value by what somebody is willing to pay. And I like to say Jesus didn't go to the cross with a book of coupons. He wasn't bargain hunting. And I know about bargain hunting because my wife's great at it. No, Jesus went to the cross paying full price, spilt his blood, gave his whole life for you and for me. So if you ever wonder, even if you're here this morning and that's all you need to hear this morning, you are so valuable. You are so worthy. God himself sent his son into the world so that you could find life, so that you could have abundant life. That's how valuable you are. Learn to see yourself as John saw himself. I'm just a disciple that Jesus loved. 
and see if that's not enough. I think it's enough. Well, we keep going. Mary tells Simon, Peter, and John they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. They have taken my hopes and my dreams. They have taken my master and my Lord. They have taken the only opportunity I had for light, and now I remain in the darkness. That's what Mary is thinking. So Peter and the other disciple, John, started out for the tomb, and they were both running. I think it happened. I think John's also poking fun at Peter here, and I also think he has another point. But just in case you didn't know, John wants you to know that he outran Peter to the tomb. How's that? And he stooped in. I think it's kind of a picture. Some of these details are descriptive, but John includes them intentionally. He lowers himself. He humbles himself. He bows his head. And he looks in and he sees the linen wrappings lying there, but he doesn't go in. And Simon Peter, in his personality, brashly bursts in. He arrives. He goes right inside. He sees the linen wrappings lying there. The cloth that had covered Jesus has folded up, lying a part of the other wrappings. One of the things that the, the eyewitnesses are doing in these stories is to try to let you know this wasn't a stolen body. You don't unwrap the body in the grave and then nicely fold the cloth and then run away with it. No, something different has happened here. These eyewitness testimonies. Verse 8, then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, John, our, our author here, goes in. And it says this. We'll talk a little bit about this. He saw and he believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that they said, that said Jesus must rise from the dead. In other words, John had studied the scriptures, memorized parts of them. He believes this is the story that tells him who God is and who he is and what's wrong with the world and what God is going to do to make it right. He believes in all the promises of God. And I believe in this moment, John finally gets it, and he realizes that Jesus Christ is the yes and amen to every one of God's promises. That this whole story is all pointing to Jesus and leading to Jesus, God in human flesh, come to save us from our sins. It just comes together. The Holy Spirit opens John's eyes, and he sees it, and he believes. And then I love verse 10. What an anticlimactic verse. They went home. What? I want to know more. What did they say? What did they tell Mary? John, we just went home. Just trying to take this in. That's all we got. Well, a few things here. What's going on with this race? I, I do want to say something here. Because uh, I, I have a feeling some of you haven't been to church for... I keep knocking this. Some of you haven't been to church for a while. I haven't been to church for a while. Um, and Sarah's going to hate me if I just messed up her lyrics. Sorry, Sarah. Some of you haven't been to church for a while. Maybe you haven't, maybe, but you came back because it's Easter and we're thrilled that you're here. Uh, I want to I recommend that maybe as we enter into the story here and we get into John's Gospel, chapter 20, maybe, maybe this week, maybe this month, you start at the beginning of John's Gospel and you just read through John's Gospel. Read through this whole Gospel. It's a great place to start. It's a great way to get to know the story of Jesus, to enter into the biblical story. But it's not the only Gospel. Uh, scholarship tells us, church history tells us that Mark's gospel is the first gospel that was written. It was written, we have it, it was written to the church in Rome. That's a big deal, big reason why we have it. And Mark's gospel, we are told in church history, is Peter's account of what happened. It's Peter's testimony. 
And it was really important. And Matthew and Luke are going to come along and they're going to write gospels for their church communities. But there's other Jesus stories because you can't get them all into one book. John's even going to say that. Jesus taught too much. He did too much. He's so amazing. But Matthew and Luke are going to use Mark's gospel as kind of a framework, a template for their story. So John, who was also an eyewitness, a few years later is going to write his gospel. And I think, I think there really was a race, and I think maybe he is poking a little fun at Peter. But I also think you could call this inspired PR. John is saying, yeah, yeah, I know, I know Mark records Peter's story, and it's good, and I'm glad we have it. But I got there first. <laughs> you can trust my gospel, too. I think that's what he's saying. This gospel is credible. You can trust this, too. That's that's part of it. just having some fun as he does this. A little bit about verse 8 here. He saw and he believed. I just want to take a moment to think about this. Something quite new is surging up in John. A wild delight at God's creative power. He remembers this moment forever. He has to write about it. It's a, it's a different sensation. Maybe it's a bit like falling in love. Maybe it's a bit like a sunrise. Maybe it's a bit like the sound of rain at the end of a long drought. Or maybe it's just a bit like faith. Oh, John had had faith before. He had believed that Jesus was the Messiah. He had believed that God had sent him. And he was God's man for God's people in God's world. But this, this was different. John saw and believed, believed that new creation had begun, believed that the world had turned the corner out of its long winter and into spring at last. He believed that God had said yes to Jesus, to all that he had been and done, believed that Jesus Christ was alive again. John saw and believed that Jesus had nullified death, that Jesus had gone on through death and out into a new world, a new creation, a new life beyond where death itself had been defeated. And life, sheer life, life in all its fullness, you could call it abundant life, could begin at last. Easter is about new possibilities and new opportunities, new creation. All right, well, let's kind of keep reading here. Pick up in verse 11. Mary was standing Mary remained. Mary, if you read through the Gospel of John, even if you focus in on John 15, Mary is a model disciple. She abides. She remains. And she's standing outside the tomb and she's crying because, again, she had believed. Jesus had set her free in his public ministry and in their friendship. But now that she had watched his horrific crucifixion, she felt like she had re-entered the darkness. And she's weeping and she stoops and she looks into the tomb and now she sees two white-robed angels. One sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. And heaven, heaven is always so gracious and compassionate. Heaven is often saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Well, here you hear the tender voice of heaven. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels just entering into her pain and her sorrow and her story. And she, I don't know if she's overwhelmed or not, she's just so moved. They've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've put him. Let me just say something about these angels here. If you were with us on Friday night, we talked about how Jesus was crucified between two criminals. 
Jesus was crucified between two thieves, in many ways fulfilling the scriptures, the prophecy, the story that he would be numbered with the transgressors. And here we see that the place of his burial is between two angels. Because God had set him forth in his blood to be a mercy seat. Think of the Ark of the Covenant. The place where God's forgiveness meets humanity's sin. But I want to know, where do these angels come from? John and Peter were just there. They didn't see angels. They show up for Mary, or were they there the whole time? One author raises this question. Maybe the angels had been there. Maybe sometimes you can only see angels through tears. I like that. I like that because we are going to celebrate. We're excited. Jesus has risen from the grave. But we are not going to buy into the superficial surface happiness of our day and age. And sometimes our only pathway to joy is through our tears. Mary's pathway to joy is through her tears. Now, now you may even hear me say that and wonder, what does that mean? I'll tell you what, my wife and I are slowly learning what that means learning what it means to, to be honest and open about our sorrows and our brokenness and allow tears to flow. But somehow we are learning that as we follow Jesus, alongside of tears comes this joy that is deeper and fuller than any kind of surface happiness. And some of these tears that we try to avoid or medicate or, or ignore, we just try to gloss over them. No, actually Jesus wants to meet you there. And maybe, just maybe, if you let a few of those tears flow, you may see angels too. We learn from Mary as we go through the story. Well, verse 14, it's going to pick up steam. So she turns to leave. And she sees someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Well, pro I'm guessing we'll talk more about this in the weeks to come as we look at a few more of these resurrection stories but it's pretty common for people to meet the resurrected Jesus and not recognize him. Now, some of it is because they just have no idea that here he is alive. From the, they're, not, they're not expecting it. But there also is this reality when you read through the resurrection accounts that there's something different about Jesus. He's familiar, yet he's different. He is the first fruits of the new creation. And, 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 you, and you get that sense. She doesn't recognize him at first. She needs a little time with him. So someone's standing there, it's Jesus, she doesn't recognize him, but again, notice Jesus says, dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asks, who are you looking for? Now, if you're a part of Crossview, and you kind of journey with us as we talk about discipleship and learning from Jesus, because we believe Jesus will lead us to the fullest life that our souls desire, it shouldn't surprise you that the first things Jesus says are questions. Talk about that all the time. Jesus loves to ask questions, loves to meet us gently where we are and lead us to where we long to be. Well, she thought he was the gardener. Sir, she says, I've got no time for your questions. If you're taking him away, tell me where you put him. I'll go, I'll go and get him. So Mary's like, our, or Jesus is like, all right, it's time. And this is the verse we're going to focus on. Just a few thoughts on this in just a minute. Jesus says, Mary! She recognizes the voice. And actually, if you go through the Gospel of John, this goes back to John 10. My sheep hear my voice. They know me. 
Mary turns and she cries out, Rabboni, which means teacher in Hebrew. And we'll talk about this. I think she turns and through the blurry eyes of tears, she looks deep into the face of Jesus, deep into the face of love, and she embraces him. Overwhelmed that here stands her risen Lord. And she embraces him and Jesus says, don't cling to me because, because the way you've known me is going to change. I'm I'm going to ascend to the Father and the Spirit is going to come and and you're going to know the presence of the Father and the Son through the Spirit. Our relationship is going to change, but it's going to be good. And then Jesus is going to give her a mission. This is what Jesus does. Jesus invites us into his rest. Biblically speaking, the rest of God is when you and I find these places in our life these seasons in our life, these times in our soul where we are living with real peace and authentic purpose. Some of us know what it's like to have peace but no purpose, and you know you're not at rest. And some of us know what it's like to have way too much purpose and no peace. You know you're not at rest. Jesus comes He's going to speak to his disciples, peace be with you. He's bringing peace. Mary is at peace. She is embracing her risen Lord, and then he gives her purpose. He calls her in to be a part of the story, the coming of the kingdom. He says, I haven't ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers. Again, if you're reading through the Gospel of John, you'll, you'll have in mind what Jesus says in chapter 13. Jesus has said to the disciples, you are not servants, you are friends. And they thought that was cool. But now they're brothers. Jesus says to you and me, I welcome you into my family. You are brothers and sisters. You are adopted into the family of God. Mary just keeps hearing good news upon good news. The good news just keeps getting better. We're a part of the family of God. Yes, and not only that, not only that, but I'm ascending to my Father and, oh, it's your Father. My God and your God. Jesus has now made a way into the very presence of the Father. Jesus is that way. He makes it possible for us to know our Creator, to know God. It's good news. And Mary is going to fulfill her mission because when the Lord says something, you obey. Not because you have to, though you do. (laughs) It's not a got to, it's a get to. Once you understand Jesus and the way that he's loved you into his kingdom, the way he's given himself first so that you could have life, and you realize how great and merciful and gentle and amazing and wise, how giving, how generous this God is, you do whatever he asks because you want to. You're just so grateful. Your Christian life becomes one big get-to because God is awesome. And how else could you show your praise and your gratitude? So Mary does what was asked. She finds the disciples, and she delivers the good news. I have seen the Lord. She tells them what he said. All right, two points. The first, I want to just kind of hang on verse 16, I told you. It says she turned around. One author says this. In the one or two seconds this turn took, we can imagine the world shifting ever so slightly on its axis. And at about this turn's one second midpoint, history too moved almost imperceptibly from B.C. to A.D. 
A second before this turn, there is a woman in the deepest human despair, in the agonizing presence of unconquerable death. A second after the beginning of this turn, there is a woman in the deepest possible human elation, in the presence of the death-conquering central figure of history. The rush that must have come over this woman in her two-second turn is unimaginable. She is the first person ever to experience the personal presence of the risen Lord Jesus. And when she turned to him at this moment, human history took a turn to a responsible hope that Jesus has now filled even death with his life. So in six short syllables, Miriam and Rabboni, and in just about that many seconds, the world became a different place. Death, once final, has met its match. There is a new reality, and that reality is a person. Someone is more final than death itself. It's good news. That's the compact meaning of this meeting. It happened. And if it really happened, everything in life takes on a completely new significance. Is there any other meaning anywhere else in Scripture or in world history as dramatic or as important as this one verse meaning? So I want to try to take us a little bit deeper into this meaning. I want to take us a little bit deeper into this turn when Mary turns and, and then recognizes Jesus. I believe this is the moment where Mary moves from yes but to can you imagine. Yes but. You and I are scripted in yes but. Yes but I am overwhelmed. Yes but life is hard. Yes but we only have this moment. Yes, but death. Yes, but darkness. Yes, but shouldn't we be afraid? Yes, but shouldn't we be worried? Yet the presence of the resurrected Jesus meets Mary where she is and counters her weariness. Counters our weariness. Counters our anxiety, our fatigue, our stresses. Counters our skepticism. And Mary moves from yes, but to can you imagine? Can you imagine a new beginning? Can you imagine life? Can you imagine abundant life? Can you imagine provision and joy and comfort and peace and hope and love? Now notice it's not can you implement it. It's not can you plan it, can you strategize it, can you work it out. It's not can you achieve it. It's can you imagine, can you entrust possibilities to God that go beyond your own capacity for manipulation and control? Now those of us who gather around these texts and these powerful eyewitness memories keep alive in our lives the terrible unsettling transaction between yes but and can you imagine. And for many of us, maybe most of us, maybe all of us, most of the time yes but wins. But by God's powerful grace, the yes but of our resistance can be broken. And newness comes alive. Because this is God's world and God's not working in a closed system. God's world is not a closed system where we only have so much. No, he is the one who created out of nothing. And his love is immeasurable. Just begin to try to plummet the depths of God's love and you'll just be going for eternity. In fact, I think that's a part of eternity. Forever learning more and more about the love of God for you and me. Does that sound good? 
That sounds good to me. Can you imagine? New possibilities. You say, yes, but I'm lonely. I say, well, because of the resurrection, because of the resurrection, that yes, but can become, can you imagine perfect love? Can you imagine new relationships and new friendships? Can you imagine the church being what God wants it to be? Can you imagine Crossview being a safe family for all of us? You say, yes, but I'm empty. Well, because of the resurrection, yes, but becomes, can you imagine being satisfied? Can you imagine being fulfilled? Can you imagine getting to the end of the day and and just knowing that your heavenly Father has smiled over what you've done today? He's delighted in you. He is thrilled to work with. Can you imagine being satisfied? Can you imagine being at rest? The the yes, but I'm tired and I'm weary becomes, oh, deep soul rest, peace and purpose. I sleep through the night. Yes, I made mistakes. I'm still a sinner. And until Christ comes back, I will need to be confessing my sin. But I can sleep well at night because I know I acted out of love. I know what I did was love. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if you have love, you have everything. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a world beyond violence, a world beyond war, a a world beyond greed, a world beyond lust? Can you imagine a world beyond uncontrollable rage, a world beyond poverty, a world beyond disease? Can you imagine a world beyond exploitation? Can you imagine a world beyond the tyranny of economic self-interest? Can you imagine a world beyond the wreckage of ruthless competition, where instead of looking at your neighbor as a competitor, and you're like, i got to get mine before they get theirs, you look at your neighbor as somebody that you can serve, somebody that you love. That's the future that is beginning now in Christ, the resurrected Jesus. His kingdom is coming. And yes, but becomes, can you imagine? Well, the second thing I want to point out, and I love this about this text, I love that Mary's looking for the dead body of Jesus while the living Jesus comes and finds her. You see that? Love that. She's looking for him, but she needs him to find her. I think I've shared this story before, but it's appropriate in this text. A little girl who lived at the edge of a forest wandered off one day into the woods and thought she would explore all the secrets of the forest. The farther she wandered, the denser it became till she lost her bearings and she could not find her way back and darkness descended. Does that describe any season of your life? Maybe even your life right now. Do you feel like you're lost in a forest and darkness is descending and and fear is gripping you and maybe you're screaming and sobbing but there's nobody to hear you? The story of this girl. Now, of course, friends and families are worried sick. Volunteers go out and they search until the thick of the night and they can't find her. They go home to refresh, to rest, to eat. And early the next morning, her father begins his search afresh. And as he's out in the forest, he catches a glimpse of his little girl lying on a rock and he calls her by name and he runs as fast as he can. And she is startled awake and she throws her arms around her dad and wrapped in a tight embrace, she repeats over and over, Daddy, I found you. Daddy, I found you. Maybe that's how you feel this evening or this morning. <laughs> you feel this morning, oh, oh, I, I, 
I found God, but really, really what you don't know and maybe you'll learn is that he's been tracking you down. You've been looking for the dead body of Jesus and the living Jesus has come and found you. A Jesus you didn't even know is so full of life. And you just wrap your arms around him, Daddy, I found you. Or maybe this story is a little bit better. I've told this story before too. True story about a missionary family home on furlough. They're at a, at, a, at a beach, three kids, the youngest son can't swim, falls off a dock, he's in the water. Brother and sister start yelling. Dad comes running down, jumps into the water to find his son. Literally a story, goes down, can't find him, goes down again, can't find him, goes down a third time and finds his son bear hugging the pole of the dock underwater. Grabs him, pulls him up, gets him out of the water. You know, kind of gets everything, they calm down, they're, they're, they stop their panic, make sure everyone's okay. And dad looks at his son and says, what were you doing down there? And the son says, just waiting on you, dad. Just waiting on you. Maybe that's how you feel this morning. And that's okay. That's a good place to be. Maybe you feel, because you're underwater, you can't breathe. You feel the pressure of the water. You feel it in your ears, in your head. Well, Jesus is coming. Let him grab you and take you and get fresh air. Let Jesus rescue you this morning. Maybe with Mary, you'll hear his voice speaking your name and you will have a mission and you will have peace and you will have purpose and you will tell others, I've seen the Lord. I've stared into the face of love. In fact, I mean, there's a verse I've read many, many times, but it's becoming more and more one of my favorite verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, very appropriate for our weekend if you've been with us through Good Friday. Paul writes this, for God who said, let there be light in the darkness, right? There's darkness, there's so much darkness around the stories of Jesus being crucified. Paul says, let there be light in the darkness, for, for God has made this light shine in our hearts. And maybe even this morning as we're talking together as the church gathered together to hear, to, to worship Jesus, to learn about Jesus. Maybe you've even felt darkness in your heart for a long time, but something is happening and the light is shining. It's the light of the love of God pursuing you. He's been, he's been running after you. He's been trying to woo you with his gentle and perfect love. Let the light shine. Let, let the light shine on your hearts. Now, why does God do this? Paul says, so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. That's why I love that verse. You want to know what the glory of God is? Look in the face of Jesus Christ. You want to know who God is? Look into the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus is everything God wants to say to you, God and human flesh. So I want to kind of wrap up this time here. I want us to, to kind of imagine, if you will, if you'll, if you'll humble me and, and join me with this, I want you to imagine staring into the face of Jesus, staring into the face of love, the face that Mary Magdalene saw in the garden on Easter morning. She bumps into him. Her vision's kind of clouded with tears. She thinks it's the gardener. Tell me where his body is, she says. And then the gardener, Jesus, calls her by name and she looks up. Maybe she wipes her eyes and she sees Jesus. What does that face look like? 
It's the face of eternal life. It's the face of the new morning. And Jesus calls you by name. Can you hear his voice? Can you hear his strong, authoritative, yet somehow gentle voice? C.S. Lewis talks about, he has this character named Aslan in his a great uh, kind of series, The Chronicles of Narnia. And as he's describing Aslan in one of the stories, the, the women, I think uh, Susan and Lucy, are, are playing with Aslan. And it says that they couldn't tell if they were playing with a kitten or a thunderstorm. That's the voice of Jesus. Is that a kitten or a thunderstorm? I was both. All the power coming through perfect love. What do you see when you look into that face? The face that caused death to die. The face that brings the eternal dawn of new creation. When you look in that face, do you feel peace? Do you get a sense that some of the worries you have you don't need to have? Do you feel even maybe some of your fears evaporating? Do you feel some of the pains of your past being healed? Part of your soul that's been shattered maybe by your own bad decisions or the decisions of others or both. And Jesus comes along and he puts you back together. And he heals you and he restores you and he gives you new life. What is this Jesus, the risen Jesus? He wants to encounter you now. He's not dead, he's alive. That's why we're here on Easter. What is he saying to you? What is he asking you? Jesus wants to meet you personally in your own story. What do you see as you look into the face of Jesus? And I just want to say, be willing to be surprised. Many of us, most of us, probably all of us have assumptions about Jesus that are wrong. Are you willing to give him another look? To stare into the face of love and be surprised by Jesus? Well, I want to close with a prayer. And because it's Easter, I know Easter we tend to have a different crowd than normal. So I'm going to pray a prayer, and I actually think this prayer is for all of us. But I want to address each of the different crowds that I think are probably here this morning, if I may. One of the things I love about the church and being a gathering where we say, come as you are. Don't stay there. Learn the way of love from Jesus, but come. We welcome anybody, wherever you're at on your spiritual journey, we're thrilled that you're here. But I know that many of you here this morning believe in Jesus. A long time ago, you had your own verse 8, you saw and believed. You had your own verse 16 where you turned and the whole world turned and you entered into the kingdom. And you're excited about Jesus. And you just want to go deeper into the story because you know you can't stay where you are. You're a disciple of Jesus. You need to go deeper and deeper into the story. And so I'm going to pray this prayer and it's for you. This prayer is for you. It is a way for you to go deeper into the story of love. But I also know that there's some of you here today with the things that have happened in the last two years, you haven't been in church for a long time. Maybe you tuned in online and you haven't been at any kind of church service for a while, but you're here. And you've drifted. There have been all kinds of things and fear has gotten a hold of you or distractions or temptations and you've drifted, but you remember the good news of Jesus and you remember the story and you want to re-enter. You want to re-engage. You want to renew your place in the story of God. Well, this prayer is for you too. Now, I also assume that there's probably a few of you here this morning or online, you're new to this whole Christian thing. 
and you've been learning on your own. Jesus has been pursuing you. And maybe even this morning, some songs that we sang or some things that I said have triggered something in you. Maybe it's a verse that we read and you are finding that you're beginning to believe. There's a new sensation. It's like rain at the end of a drought and you're believing. Well, how do I become a part of the story? How do I enter into the kingdom of God? How can I be a follower of Jesus? Well, this prayer is for you too. (laughs) And then I have a feeling there's one more crew here this morning. You're the faithful family members that don't go to church and don't want to be at church, but you love your family, so you're here. And that's great. We're, We're thrilled that you're here. And even this morning, you're like, I don't believe in God, and I'm not praying any prayer. So I just humbly ask, if you don't mind, if we pray this prayer over you. Just to open the door, to just be willing. Okay, God, God, I don't know that you're there, but if you're there, reveal yourself, prove yourself, show yourself. Let me see the glory of your love. Just let us pray this prayer over you. So I'm going to invite everybody to bow your heads and Grab your fork, remind yourself that there is something better to come. The kingdom of God, eternal life. And join me in this prayer. Make it your own prayer and let Jesus meet you where you are. Who is like you, Jesus? You are the Savior of the world. You are the Lord of lords and King of kings. You are the Lord of my life. You are the forgiver of my sins. You are the giver of my life. You are the light of those who are spiritually lost. You are the life of those who are spiritually dead. You are the liberation of those who are imprisoned by guilt. You are the glory of those who hate themselves. You are the guardian of those who are paralyzed by fear. You are the guide of those who are bewildered by falsehood. You are the peace of those who are in turmoil. You are the prince of those who yearn to be led. You are the priest of those who seek the truth. Jesus, we believe that your kingdom is coming and you are rearranging the world. We believe that this cosmic reordering has already begun in your resurrection. That's why we're so excited today. We believe that love triumphs over death, that beauty outlives horror that the meek will inherit the earth and that those who mourn will be comforted. We, like Mary Magdalene, watch and we wait, even as the world is shrouded in darkness, because the things we long for are not rooted in wishful thinking, but are as solid as a stone rolled away. Amen.